The following podcast is intended for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should not be substituted for professional medical or psychological advice. Before beginning or changing a treatment plan, please consult your local healthcare professional. Hello, all. Welcome back to Bio Psycho Socially Distant. Hello. We are here for you. We are existing right now. Um, one of the nurses I work with, um, you know, when somebody calls her and says, Hey, how you doing? She goes, Oh, you know, I'm a person. Oh, God. That's like this, the international symbol of please, God, help me. <laughs> so we're here and we're people. But I used to say that at my old job, people would be like, how are you? And I'd be like, I'm here. Yeah, and I'm be like, here. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. We're, we're here. We're existing. We're doing things. Um, so we've been here existing and doing things for a year. Yes. It's our, well, I think it's a little bit past our one year anniversary or actually it might be today. I have no idea. Bobby, oh, I can probably look because I think we took pictures and I can just look back oh, on my yeah, phone. Oh my gosh, Bobby, it's our paper anniversary of being partners in podcasting together. What does that mean? What do we get? Paper plates? I mean, I think I mean I think so. <laughs> it looks like our first episode was January 25th, which was my uh, late grandmother's birthday, actually. So it was a good omen and a good day. Oh, and look at us in the basement together. Oh, where we can't be. <laughs> With no masks on. Remember that in the before time? I do. Womp womp. Womp womp. We actually only, um, we actually, I think only were able to do like maybe two episodes together. Actually, no, I lied. I'm FOS. Uh, January 4th was our first. That was our oh, second episode. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So January 4th was our first episode that we did together. Again, there we are in the basement, unaware that, you know, in the next couple of months, all hell would doth breaketh loose. <laughs> exactly. And all hell doth is still breaking loose. Um, so we're recording this on January 10th. Uh, last week, there were some pretty not pretty, absolutely heinous acts that happened in Washington, D.C. And we are going to discuss it, but um, we've decided we are going to discuss it at the end of our, at the end of this episode, we're going to discuss the episode first and then discuss um, the recent events at the end. So if you're not in a place to think about it or, you know, rehash it at this time, you can cut out before we start discussing it. And that's totally fine. Um, you are not minimizing it or canceling it if you're not able to think about it and you're using this as a little bit of escapism that's really important too but we really don't want to ignore what's going on mm -hmm. yep so we so enjoy doing episodes together like kind of joint episodes um how we use how we um had been formatting it is we kind of were telling the other a story and Last time we recorded, we discussed the Slender Man documentary and the um, 
terrible Slender Man stabbing. And we really enjoyed doing episodes together. It was really fun for us to play off of each other and kind of research and watch the same information and see what each of us took from it. So we're going to do the same thing again. And what are we covering today? Today, we are covering, if you, you know, have HBO Max, um, <laughs> we decided to celebrate our one-year anniversary and also uh, me getting HBO Max with watching the 2017 HBO documentary, Mommy, Dead, and Dearest. This documentary details the 2015 murder of Dee Dee Blanchard and the Munchausen by proxy actions that she inflicted on her daughter, Gypsy. There was also a Hulu show entitled The Act based on this story, which was fantastic. And Kayla and I have also watched that as well. Um, mm. But our source material for this is Mommy Dundiris. Um, The Hulu show was very accurate. Of course, they did take some, you know, artistic liberties as, right. as we do, but it is also... Um, a really fantastic dramatization about the story and about what happened. I actually uh, had a really, I'm going to verbalize this to you. I had a really hard time figuring out how I was going to introduce the story. Usually when we frame stories or when we discuss murders or tragedies, we surround the story with the victim at the focus of it. But it's mm-hmm. really hard to decide who the victim in this story is. Obviously the person, there is a person who was murdered, but I don't know if she was qu- quite the victim, and I don't know if that's if we're even going to answer that question by the time this episode is over. You could see Dee Dee as a victim as she was killed, but Gypsy was also a victim too, even though she was not necessarily blameless. Yeah, and I think a lot of the people that they interview in the documentary kind of set out to answer that question and can't. I would almost want to say the people that were interviewed and the people that were lied to were victims as well. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I, I even might go so far as to say that her accomplice, Nicholas Godijan, was almost almost a victim. I mean, I don't yeah. want to sim- you know, sympathize too much with someone who's committed a murder, but Correct. we'll get into it. Yeah, everybody's, uh, it's not cut and dry, which I think is fascinating. And I think it's really important that we discuss this and delve into it and kind of do a root cause analysis of what Mm -hmm. happened and what we can learn from this. Uh, So we open on Gypsy being interrogated in Washakal, Wisconsin. What the fuck? What is with (laughs) Washakal? You probably did the same thing as me when you saw that. You're like, man... I said, wait, I'm sorry, did this really happen in the same county as was in Wisconsin as the last case? And then I said, Wisconsinites, you okay? This is so um, if you didn't watch our last episode, which you should because it was a good one. Washaka, uh, Wisconsin was where the Slenderman um, stabbing happened. Um, we're not doing a spir- conspiracy theory about how the crimes are related or anything. Uh, we're just noting that this is where the trial where the um trial took place. It is not where the murder took place. It is actually where the perpetrators were found. Right, right, right. Which led me into, I don't know if you know the answer to this, and I should have looked it up, but I did not. If you commit a crime in another state, do they extradite you to the state in which the crime happened? Or is that just if it happens in another country? No, they bring you back to the state where it occurred. It's interesting. Which is why um, it's it's complicated with murderers, like, for example, Ted Bundy, who would kill someone and then bring their body to another state. Huh. Or those murderous truck drivers. Where was that? A happy face killer, I think, was one of them. 
Sounds about There's right. There's a great podcast about him. So we open on Gypsy Rose being interrogated. Gypsy Rose Blanchard is, and I use this verbiage deliberately, a said-to-be 19-year-old from Springfield, Missouri, and she was being questioned on the murder of her mother, Claudinia, a.k.a. Dee Dee. Let's just call her Dee Dee for the rest of the episode. Yeah, well, that's what everybody calls her on yeah. the doc. Yep. Um, she's quite outwardly emotional and surprised to find out that her mother is dead, saying that she and her mother are best friends. We're best friends. We're me and my mother are best friends. We're best friends. I would never murder you. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you would also, never mind. We'll get into that. Um, so photos of 48-year-old Dee Dee's body are shown stabbed in bed. She's face down in blood-soaked sheets. I paused um, to write notes and I paused like on the picture of her corpse and I was like, oh no, I have to <laughs> write this really fast. I was trying to like, because I didn't want to pause on anybody's face. And I don't know about you, but my HBO Max, like the pause button is a little bit slow. So yeah. I was like trying to pause before I actually needed it to stop. And it was delayed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit delayed. So, you know, outwardly, this seems like this seems really sad. Um, a relatively young woman was stabbed to death in her bed. And her daughter seems like a young woman who's very upset by the murder, you know, and shocked and saddened. So then we get a flashback to Dee Dee and Gypsy speaking at a Relay for Life event. And Gypsy is in a wheelchair. She's very frail. She's bald. She has no hair. She's kind of doll-like, really petite, and has a high-pitched voice. And Dee Dee is talking about how her purpose in life was to be Gypsy's mother. Are you talking about the one where Gypsy sings a really off-pitched version of Angels Among Us in her wheelchair? Correct. I didn't know the actual song, but yes, that is that is what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. We, I think we had to sing that in Catholic school when I was little. <laughs> was, was yours as off-pitched as Gypsy's? Um, I like to think that I can sing on pitch, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I cannot. So, you know, that's all right. So the two are painted as very sympathetic characters. And it's worth mentioning that when Gypsy was being interrogated, she was sitting in a chair. She was sitting on a couch. She mm -hmm. wasn't in a wheelchair. The gig was up by then. The jig? The gig? The jig and well, the gig. Both the jig whatever and the it was. were up. Yeah, it was up. It was all up. So at the time uh, when Dee Dee was discovered... It was discovered that Dee Dee was, you know, was dead. Um, Gypsy was thought to be missing, which was really disturbing to people that knew them because Gypsy was um, presented as being severely disabled. She was peg, mm -hmm. peg tube dependent, which is a feeding tube, um, had a whole host of medical issues, which I did list, and was wheelchair bound. We learned that Dee Dee and Gypsy are from Louisiana. Uh, and they came to Missouri after being displaced from Hurricane Katrina. Just about everyone in this documentary has a fantastic New Orleans or Louisiana accent. I was going to say this. If we learn nothing else from this documentary, we need to go to Louisiana. <laughs> you and I yes. need to go to New Orleans. We've been planning that for years. And now, you know, yeah. pandemic has ruined everything. But that's with our love of all things witchy and my love of all things bourbon and our love of deep fried things and seafood <laughs> and, ghosts. Really need, and ghosts. We really need to go there. 
Me too. I I think, well, part of the reason I think people were so upset about Gypsy Rose being missing is that um, there were Facebook status posts yes. that were pretty disturbing. Um, and I remember that's the first time I heard about this case, like way back when I was on Tumblr before it was a cesspool. Um, <laughs> people had posted like screenshots of of the Facebook statuses. And I was like, what the fuck? This is yeah. so messed up. <laughs> They're like, what happened? And then, you know, you're thinking like, oh my gosh, they committed this heinous crime and they posted on her Facebook. Yeah. They had Real a sh- smart. Also, they had a Facebook, they had a shared Facebook, which is a red flag. Oh, always a red flag. It is always a red flag. Even though Why is that necessary? It's not. Technically, is our podcast a shared Facebook? No. Okay, good. Just checking. So, yes. So there were all kinds of really vulgar statuses about the crime that they committed. I frankly don't want to repeat them, even though we do have an explicit warning at the front of our podcast, but still. And then we cut to Nicholas John, who probably needs his own episode, but I don't want to sit through that research. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. I found his full interrogation and I, I tried to watch a lot of it and I like I, I lost my patience. I couldn't do it. He admitted to stabbing Dee Dee because Gypsy told him to. Mm-hmm. And we find out that, well, holy shit, Gypsy can walk. And I think what people were so disturbed about was Gypsy was missing and she was and oh, and she didn't have her wheelchair with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they left the wheelchair at the house and they're like, what they do with this very disabled young woman? She's somewhere right. without her. They can't find her and she doesn't have her wheelchair. So what's what's going on? And um, in a plot twist, I think I love the I love the sheriff or whomever saying let me start by saying things are not always as they appear i know so dramatic i love it so dramatic i love a flair for the dramatic so i was here for it uh gypsy was arraigned for first degree murder Mm -hmm. which makes good sense because there were texts between nick and gypsy planning the murder and first degree murder is premeditated or a planned murder Mm-hmm. And then everybody shit frisbees when she walked into the courtroom because she walked into the courtroom. Mm-hmm. She honestly, I think she was probably pretty thrilled to be able to just kind of drop the lies and be able to just be yeah. herself in a way. That's that does have to be exhausting. Mm-hmm. So next we get a background on Gypsy and we meet Gypsy's dad, Rod. Yes. And, <laughs> and her stepmother, Christy. And we mm-hmm. laugh because they seem like very normal, sane, and a gorgeous couple. They are a good looking group of people. They are a good looking couple. They are. And they seem like such kind people too. And they were devastated. And what I do appreciate about the two of them, and we don't see this a lot in our research when we think about, you know, crimes and documentaries, they take ownership. They wish they could have done better, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they are to blame at all. And I think that's such a misconception. And I think that's important to say, if you think, you know, something could have gone better and you wish you could have done something better, that's not guilt. That's not, an, you know, it needs to be separated from guilt. They did the best they could, but they say, you mm-hmm. know, I, looking back, I wish I had done this. And that is something very normal to do. And it's how we become wiser and better people. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I have to commend that greatly, you know, when they said, and they did, you know, looking through this, I don't blame them. I truly hope they don't blame themselves. I'm sure they do, but I hope that, you know, it sounds like they really took this, um, they took this to help themselves grow instead Mm of not taking any sort of ownership and pointing the finger. Yeah. And Christy, I think as a mother herself, and I noticed that throughout the documentary, she just keeps framing it in terms of like, how could anyone do this to their child? What kind of mother does this? You know? And she actually even, because they were looking at, this is jumping head a little bit. She even verbalized, I can't even imagine what Gypsy was going through. Like she Mm -hmm. took herself out of the equation. You know, she, you know, didn't say, well, how could I have known what was going, you know, she took herself completely out of the equation and said, I can't believe what this child had to go through. And I can't even imagine going through it myself. Mm -hmm. And that's a testament. And that shows one, a very well-rounded and very secure person. And that shows a very empathic person. So we're going to give it up to Christy and Rod. So Rod says that right at three, Three months old, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Dee Dee told him that Gypsy needed a CPAP machine for sleep apnea. So it was like, that was the first thing. She was yep. only three months old and it was all downhill from there. And Dee Dee told him, she's probably not going to live to see 18. And he was like, uh, what? Yep. I noticed, I don't know if you noticed this too, the illnesses and the conditions slowly escalated. It started mm, yeah. with CPAP, you know, not that not minimizing sleep apnea, it's serious, but it's controlled. You know, you get a CPAP machine, it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. And then it went to hearing and visual disabilities, mm-hmm. again, a more common thing. And then it ramped up to muscular dystrophy right. and chromosomal leukemia. leukemia. Yeah. It ramped up. So it went from like, it was almost like she was seeing what she could get away with. Mm-hmm. That's probably exactly what it was, was the, you know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, when we get to the part about Munchausen's, I'll go a little bit more into this, but I think it, part of it's like the more serious the illness, the more attention I get for caring for my daughter. Correct. Yeah. You know, everybody has a kid with glass, you know, a lot of people have a kid with glasses who cares, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it was like, it was a ramp up, like it was titrated upwards and Gypsy was wheelchair bound around age six or seven. It's, it's, I apologize for the lack of ages. I had a really hard time tracking Gypsy's true age. Mm -hmm. She didn't even know what her true age was. No, no. I, she was actually, the truth is she was born in 1991. So she is around our age. And Dee Dee told everyone that she was developmentally delayed for about five years behind her her chronological age. Um, And that's why at one point she called Rod Gypsy's dad and was like, oh, don't tell her she's 18. He was like, why? It's Yeah, he was like, she's 18. It's her 18th birthday. I'm going to wish her a happy birthday. Well, don't tell her. Do you think that was because she would realize she was an adult and she could leave? Absolutely. I mean, I I think it was very clear that Dee Dee knew – that Gypsy was with it and intelligent and, you know, like a normal teenager would want to be independent and have yeah. her own life. So we find, so Gypsy has this whole host of, di- I, I couldn't find a list of Gypsy's meds. I actually looked everywhere and I couldn't find a med list. That, that struck me the first time I watched this documentary a few years ago. Was the cl- it was like a full linen closet full of medication, top to bottom. 
it was, and I've seen a lot of meds. Like I have seen people that are on a ton of meds. I have seen mm -hmm. them, you know, put them in Tupperware. I have seen them. I, I had a nurse that once said, I had a patient bring out their meds in a wagon. Uh, like <laughs> a wheelbarrow. Yeah. I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of medication, but it was, it was like a floor to ceiling closet, just chock full of medication. I do. Do you want me to list off the diagnosis? I did write out the diagnoses. Do you want me to list? Sure. Off? All right. Asthma, epilepsy, hearing impairment, vision impairment, paralyzed from the waist down. However, one of the, I paused on one of the diagnoses sheets that Didi wrote up and they said quadriplegic, which would be mm -hmm. upper extremities paralyzed as well. Epilepsy. They probably, sorry to interrupt you, that they probably realized that quadriplegia was too hard to fake. No fooling. Because she had a she had a hard time faking the waist down paralysis. She so. did. She did. I was actually gonna comment. I'm gonna comment on that after I do the list. Um cognitive impairment, muscular dystrophy, use mm -hmm. of a CPAP machine, incontinent, which is unable to control bladder and bowel, leukemia, heart murmur, and very vague lung disease. Um, I also have to know she wrote it heart mummer. <laughs> mummer not a murmur a mummer it was it would it would be hard for anybody to fake lower leg paralysis and i'm not trying to be an asshole when they showed the video of gypsy jumping into the pile of snow mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. first of all yeah. if she had muscular dystrophy she wouldn't have that sort of upper body strength right uh because muscular dystrophy is a um a progressive illness and it's actually a very very devastating illness somebody um Somebody I love in my life has uh, two sons with um, the very a very severe form of muscular dystrophy, and somebody faking this actually does bother me very, very deeply mm -hmm. um, because I know the devastation that they go through and all the trials, the trials and struggles that they face. So, f you, Dee Dee. Anyway, so you can see you can see when she went into the snow, she was like trying to pretend that she was moving her legs on her own, but. You can't like that was a reflex when she went into the snow. Mm -hmm. She, you could tell that her legs still had muscle tone to them, and she was moving them because right. how would she? How how would she not? I mean, just try if you're listening to this. Like, try to do a few things, move around your just your upper body without moving your legs. You can't do it, and it's involuntary. It's it's yeah. just a signal sent out by your brain. You can't help it. Right. And your legs work, but you're, when you have like this frail little sick kid in front of you, you're not going to be like, oh, saw your leg move. Like you're not in that frame exactly. of mind where you're trying to disprove. If you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it. I'm sure. No. And you're not going to be, you know, you're going to question your own mind. You're going to be like, oh, you know, I am seeing it wrong. I think one of the questions that I had was how do you convince a doctor to perform an unnecessary surgery? Like that seems extreme to me. It, it does. And I have, and then, you know, I'm kind of like thinking to my, you know, thinking as a medical person, how much of what we, how much of what we do as medical professionals are based on patient perception or in this case, mm. family perception. And unfortunately, um, Gypsy was, you know, was, you know, Gypsy was presented as being so impaired and she was a minor. So a lot of um, medical decisions went to Dee Dee. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I'm thinking like, like, I know you can fake diagnostic 
test results. You can right. fake records. You can't fake an X-ray or a, a CT scan or something like no. that. You know, especially because that doesn't pass through anyone's hands. It goes directly to the doctor usually. Correct. And even the muscular dystrophy, um, there's um, it's CK. Um, your CK levels are really elevated if you have muscular dystrophy, which is um, which happens when muscle breaks down in your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. So you can't fake that. You you can't you can't fake that. So I think she I think a lot of it had to do with doctor shopping. And they even verbalized yeah. this in the documentary yeah. is when they went to the cardiologist, everything was cardiac. You know, she had chest pain, everybody died of a heart attack. When they went to the right. pulmonologist, everybody had COPD in the family. Right. So we see that a lot in um, psychiatry, the doctor shopping. Well, this one won't give me the benzodiazepines, which a lot of doctors don't anymore. So Correct. I'm going to see who I'm going to find out who can give me my Xannies. Correct. So I think I had a lot of it had to. And plus, Gypsy was presenting as being so ill and you're dealing with a compassionate profession. Mm-hmm. Yes, you this is true. Always want to believe your patients. I am, I think, because I thought about it a little bit, and I think probably this, I mean, Munchausen's is, well, I guess they don't really know how rare it is or how prevalent it is. But when I have a client come to me and say, I think I have X, Y, and Z, um, you know, I'll have them say like, well, why do you think that? What makes you think that? What sort of symptoms are you having? Mm -hmm. You know, when did it start, et cetera, et cetera. We explore it a little bit. I've even gotten out the DSM and read to them the diagnostic criteria before. That's brilliant. Typically, when, you know, they'll run through things with me, and I say, no, I don't think you have that. They're like, Oh, thank God. You know, it's a relief to find out. (laughs) It's something that's completely normal. And it's something that can be worked through, even if it's just like a mild, say, anxiety or depression that it's, I think that that's a little bit more palatable than saying like, Oh, you're you have bipolar disorder or something that's requires a little bit more intervention, I guess. Right. That makes sense. So, you know, I, cause there have been definitely times where I'm like, no, there's no evidence that you have this. This is not what this is, or I'm going to hold off on that diagnosis until I have a little bit more information or, or what have you. So I can definitely see somebody saying, nope, I'm sorry. Like there's no tumor here. So you don't have cancer. I don't know what you want me to tell you. Exactly. Um, and I think with the cancer diagnosis, it sounds like, you know, and I'm piecing this together, they never went to an oncologist because you can't fake that. Right. Exactly. They just said Gypsy has cancer and everybody assumed that she was going to an on you know, she was going to an oncologist somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I specifically it was leukemia, which is a cancer of the blood. Correct. So I wonder if that's maybe a little bit easier to fake than say it's not I don't know it's breast cancer I don't know it's not um because of blood counts and stuff it's actually pretty uh it's pretty unless it's easier to fake on paper I would almost it's probably equally hard because if they draw a simple blood panel and everything is normal but they kind of took advantage of what people associate with cancer DD um would shave gypsy's head Yeah. Which, um, again, I'm going to be an asshole, but this is all hindsight. I would have, I probably wouldn't have questioned it at the time. The way Gypsy's head looked, it doesn't look like chemotherapy or drug induced alopecia. Mm -hmm. It looks, it looks very different. You can see her hair follicles. 
The reason why people lose their hair when they get chemotherapy is that the chemotherapy mistakes the hair follicle for cancer. So it stops producing it. Yeah, it kills it. It kills it. So the rapidly chemotherapy, traditional chemotherapies, and some oral chemotherapies can cause hair thinning, not necessarily the global alopecia that you see with a lot of IV drugs. The chemotherapy attacks rapidly dividing cells, mistaking it for cancer cells. So you so it kills off your hair follicle. So as long as you're on the chemotherapy, you do not grow hair. And that is true for hair all over your body. Mm-hmm. I was trying to look and see if she had eyebrows and I couldn't tell. <laughs> or lashes too. That would be a hard one to fake. Mm-hmm. People lose right. eyebrows, lashes, nose hairs, hairs in places that you forgot that you even had hair. But looking at Gypsy's head, you could see the you can see the cast of stubble mm-hmm. because that would, you know, Dee Dee is not going to shave her head every single day of her life. The fact that she did it at all is repugnant, but still. Um, and she told Gypsy that she was putting her cancer drugs into her feeding tube and that her hair was going to fall out anyway. So she's just going to shave it off. So I'm a little annoyed. I can't find a med list. Uh, it looks like there was no mention of Oral chemo, I don't know, she just mentioned some sort of random oral chemotherapy that she told doctors that she was giving her, and that's why she didn't have any hair. It was, you know, it was still very, you know, it was still very disturbing that Dee Dee went through those lengths. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And Gypsy seemed pretty much in the dark besides the fact that she knew she could walk. I mean, I, w- I would expect if you, at three months old, you start being conditioned to think that you're this sick. Yeah, you're going to believe it, of course. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's, you know, it's all part of the power of suggestion. And like I said, I was still very, very, very much annoyed I couldn't find a med list. Um, But they did mention that a lot of the medications could have induced side effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that could have made her seem sicker. So that could have lended, um, lended itself to creating some, you know, quantitative data, you know, as to, you know, the doctor saying, oh, no one, you know, Mm -hmm. You know, no wonder if she was really lethargic, she could have had a hard time breathing. That could have lent itself to people thinking that she had respiratory issues. She could have had seizures from the medications, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, She could have been malnourished um, because she was so drugged up that she didn't eat or Dee Dee didn't let her eat and she became malnourished. Right, exactly. And that sounded like uh, that's what they were doing as well. Uh, they told Gypsy she had an allergy. Dee Dee told Gypsy she had an allergy to sugar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the show, there's a doctor who was like, here, have some soda. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're allergic to sugar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, of course, we start to hear from the doctors and they start to discuss Munchausen's by proxy. And um, one of the doctors wrote in his note that he suspected Munchausen's by proxy and another neurologist noted that she had good muscle tone in her legs and could indeed stand on her own. And that's something that you can't fake if somebody, you know, so if somebody was paralyzed, their legs would have, you know, a lot of atrophy. Um, Somebody who was just not walking in public, which lends me to believe that Gypsy was walking around her house Mm -hmm. when it was just her indeed at home, which makes sense. So, so I have a I have a whole write up on Munchausen's. Tell me, Boo. 
Okay. So we are introduced to Dr. Mark Feldman, who is a clinical psychologist and Munchausen expert, which mm-hmm. I find very interesting. And he, like this, the simple explanation, it's uh, Munchausen's by proxy is when a caregiver feigns or induces illness. So in the DSM, it's listed under somatic symptoms and related disorders. So um, you'll find any disorder that has to do with physical symptoms. Um, and that's a somatic disorder. Mm-hmm. And it's actually called factitious disorder imposed on another, formerly factitious disorder by proxy or Munchausen syndrome by proxy. The criteria for diagnosis of factitious disorder imposed on another is a falsification or of psychological or physical signs or symptoms or induction of dise- disease or injury in another associated with identified deception. The individual presents another individual, their victim, to others as injured, ill, or impaired. The deceptive behavior is apparent even in the absence of external incentives, and the behavior is not better explained by another mental disorder. It can occur in a single or recurrent episode, but it's my understanding that it's typically a recurrent episode. Um, the deception occurs by such ways as adding blood or urine samples or to urine samples, falsely reporting things like seizures, falsifying medical records and diagnostic tests, introducing a substance like insulin to induce an abnormal lab result or illness, or by physically injuring themselves or another, like injecting fecal matter to produce an abscess or induce sepsis. Eh. I know. (laughs) This is all from the DSM. I read the whole section. Yeah. So that, you know, that makes sense. I mean, Dee Dee is dead, so we're never going to know exactly what she did to substantiate her claims. Right. But it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that she... That I'm sure she went to very, very, very great lengths to prove that, you know, this was going on with Gypsy or to try to. I mean, I think if you were really to dig into the medical records, you can probably find where she falsified information. Right. And I did look and I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find the medical records. I think probably like I had an easy, like when we did John Bonet, I had an easy time, you know, finding the autopsy Mm -hmm. because it was so long ago. Right. Um, So I think because it's a fairly new case and i think um sentencing probably just happened um the records are probably not as accessible which is a good you know which you know none of my damn business but still a few more things i wanted to know as well about this illness is that because i I kind of wanted to dig into like its history a little bit i guess Mm -hmm. and it's noted that it differs from illness anxiety disorder what most of us know as hypochondria Mm-hmm. due to the emphasis on deception and falsification of information. So when somebody is has illness anxiety disorder, they truly, and you and I have talked about this before, they truly think that they have COVID or cancer or whatever. Um, and all they, they're going to the doctor because they want to reduce their anxiety by hearing, yes, this is what you have. Here's what you can do to take care of it. You're going to be fine, mm-hmm. whatever. Versus this illness where they're just faking it for for some sort of, um, as Dr. Feldman says, some sort of emotional gratification. And just, I want to make the point too, with hypochondria, you're hoping you don't have the illness. Right. Yeah. So you want, like I said, you want the reduction in anxiety. You don't, you don't want to be sick. You want reduction with anxiety versus gratification. Right. And I wanted to know why it's not formally called Munchausen syndrome. Um, and I guess it it derives its name from the fictional char- character Baron Munchausen from about the 18th century, who tells many fantastic and impossible stories about himself. Huh. Um, and there's a whole long spiel about him. 
that I'm not going to get into, but people who debated this name objected that a literary allusion was inappropriate given the seriousness of the disease. So they just thought it was a little bit, I don't know, inappropriate to name it after a fictional character. I would be, I would be compelled to agree. And I, I found it interesting that Dr. Feldman, I found him in the, the Wikipedia article about it, mm-hmm. coined the term Munchausen by internet. Um, describing yeah, describing the pattern of behavior and factitious disorder imposed on self, wherein those affected feign illnesses and online venues, which I've seen a lot before. Yeah. And I've talked to our friend Victoria about this. Um, and Victoria, of course, has a chronic illness mm-hmm. that she deals with. And um, there's a lot of people who self-diagnose, which I don't think in and of itself is necessarily a bad thing, but they'll go online and be like, um, you know, like, hi, my name is Kayla. I have... <laughs> I don't know. Depression. I have this, I have that, that I've diagnosed myself with. And that's how I identify myself. Um, give me attention, give me special treatment, that kind of a thing. I, as a healthcare worker, think it's way more po- problematic when people self-diagnose because it makes actually diagnosing somebody more complicated and more difficult. Yes, I can see that because I can see them convincing themselves so much that they actually develop somatic symptoms. Correct. Or... It's convincing, it's convincing, convincing something, convincing somebody that something is plainly true when they've already decided that something else that is false is true is really, really, really difficult Mm -hmm. because they've already come to terms with this and they, and they feel comfortable with this diagnosis as much as you can. They really don't want to believe that something else is true, and then they have to start the cycle all over again. Right, exactly. And I like I like just naming things by factual. I think illnesses should be named like by factually what they are because it can kind of introduce a lot of biases and a lot of um, stigma and stereotypes when you name something based yeah. off of a belief, like you know, like the Spanish flu, right. So, I mean, this is the the name change. The debate actually started in the 1950s, believe oh, it or wow. not. Oh, wow. So it's kind of like how people still call it multiple personality disorder, even though it hasn't been called that since about like the 80s, 90s. It's um, borderline, not borderline personality um, disorder. It's dissociative identity disorder. Yeah. Or, you know, manic depressive or. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of bipolar. Or the baby blues instead of postpartum depression, which is a very <laughs> real thing. Um yeah. So, or a nervous disorder that always drives me nuts because it always, it's like, it minimizes it almost. And yeah, it, it seems yeah. like it's not a real illness. That's exactly what, that, that was exactly initially the point, I think. You brought up Dr. Flazerstein, who is the pediatric neurologist who pointed out. Yes. That, uh, you know, she, her muscles were not wasting away. She was perfectly Correct. healthy. Correct. Because he said, he determined Munchausen's may be at play, but there was no neglect That's what he said. Well, there was no neglect and no one in the system of care would believe me. Well, that's not really your problem. No, you know? Yeah, that, that bothered me. That bothered me. You, you know, we're very much as mandated reporters, we're taught, you make the report and let DCF or CPS or whatever do the investigation. Yeah, you You don't investigate. You make the report in good faith. And you say, this Mm -hmm. is what I think happened. I'm concerned. concerned. And I have evidence. Yeah, concerned. Right. And, you, and then they figure it out. 
and they, which yeah. happens in the in the TV series. I don't know if it happened in real life. It did actually, um, not by this physician in particular. I can't confirm nor deny it was by this per- physician, but they did have um, um, a DCF report filed against them, and Dee Dee was interviewed by DCF, and the case was promptly closed. Which is yeah, which happens all sorts of issues with. I mean, if you're interested in the issues with. DCF as a system, I would watch with extreme trigger warning. I would watch um, the trials of Gabriel Fernandez and I would listen to the podcast Do No Harm, both opposite ends of the spectrum, but very interesting. And, you know, and you and I, as both you and I, as both healthcare professionals and mandated reporters, you hem and haw over whether or not you do the right thing. But it's not easy. No, it's not. But I always err on the side of I'm going to make this report. And if they say no, then I did everything I could. I did everything in my power to have this case investigated. Yeah. If they find it unsubstantiated they don't even make contact with the person so it's kind of like no harm no foul no no and i you know when i i in other junctures of my career i've had more opportunity i guess if you want to use that term to make reports um Mm -hmm. i would even precursor saying it as i'm not being accusatory this is what i saw and you make the designation right exactly it's as simple as it's it's as simple as that I even say that to my patients when, you know, they say they have these symptoms going on and I tell them they have to go to the hospital. I say, you know, this might be some, this might be nothing. It could be something. If it's nothing, you can have a hearty laugh at my expense tonight. Right. My issue, it's, I think it's a little bit more complex when you're a therapist because you've been, you've joined with the family. So to, you know, a lot of people and rightfully so see any contact with DCF as like, Oh, they're going to take my kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to get into that because it's a whole complicated issue. But it's right. so, you know, the moment you have reason to call, it's like your heart stops. Yeah. You know, you feel sick. You feel it's awful. You feel guilty, even though yeah. you shouldn't feel guilty. Mm-hmm. I know it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a very hard thing. And this isn't doubt. This isn't um, speaking against folks that work for DCF. I give them, all the oh, credit yeah. in the world. I don't think they get paid enough. I don't think they get the respect they deserve. I think they are doing the best that they can. And I think they're, you know, they're out there trying to help as many people as possible with very limited resources. Yeah. I mean, I think that the two programs, <laughs> programs I okay. mentioned cover it really well. Like I said, it's very complicated. It's, you know, we'll, we won't get into it. It's not a black and white oh. issue. Rod. Anyway, let's go to the bayou. Yeah, let's go to the bayou. Let's, oh boy, let's go to the bayou. So Rod and Dee Dee started dating, and I guess apparently Dee Dee was into witchcraft, which by the way, witches do not take ownership of her. Nope. Nope. No. <laughs> no. Nope. She's not in the coven. <laughs> nope. Not in the coven. Um, Dee Dee got pregnant. I did watch a 2020 documentary. Dee Dee was 24 and Rod was 18 when he got pregnant, when uh, she got pregnant. And they subsequently got married because that's what you do sometimes. Well, he said, you know, he's, I'm a good, I was a good Southern boy. So I got married. He was going to do the stand up thing, get married to her. And also, you know, I also kind of have to note that Rod was a teenager. So whatever Dee Dee said, he was more apt 
to believe because he was young and scared and a teen father. I think actually you make a really good point because of the nature of Dee Dee's personality, I guess, if we want to call it that, it seems appropriate that she chose somebody who is not, I mean, he's not significantly younger than her, but young enough, you know? But with 18 to 24, you know, as well as I do, that a lot of life happens between those ages. (laughs) Developmentally as well. Correct. And she's female who historically mature a little bit quicker. And she grew into probably was more grown into her manipulative tendencies at that point. Mm-hmm. And Rob was, Rod was fundamentally a kid. Mm-hmm. I look at 18 year olds and their kids. Right. He was, Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I mean, I have nothing in common with an 18 year old. No fooling. No fooling. And then, all right. So uh, then we meet Dee Dee's family. Boy, do we meet Dee Dee's family. Uh, I her dad has a sign up in front of the house that they show a shot of and it just says that's Cajun life <laughs> and I really need that <laughs> <laughs> my favorite was when like they said so what'd you think of your daughter she's okay yeah they they do not care for her that also struck me the first time I watched this I was like holy shit they hear well I like it was I I don't want to say I enjoyed it, but it was actually quite refreshing because it was so honest. Because usually yeah. when something crazy happens, people are always saying like, I can't believe it. I never would have suspected this. Right. She was so nice. It was the opposite. They were like, yeah, I saw this coming a mile away. Yeah, exactly. Especially her nephew. The nephew's like, he was gone. Uh, yeah. She's weird. She's evil. I'm not surprised that this happened at all. He said, well, it was only a matter of time. and this is like i like i so appreciated their candor boy did i appreciate their candor and her dad was the closest to her out of everybody he was he i think was manipulated by her most of all and it was also very telling that i guess her Dee's mom his ex-wife or his late wife as it were was manipulative as well so he Mm -hmm was I I see him as a victim. So he was mm-hmm. abused by Dee Dee and he was abused by his his wife probably as well. And I know that's something that we don't talk about in this culture very often is that men could be victims of domestic violence mm-hmm. and of emotional abuse. Right. And we also forget that emotional abuse is domestic violence. Correct. Correct. Very much so. And you know, he was from a small town in the South. I don't think he was telling everybody that his wife um, and his daughter were degrading and manipulative and abusive towards him, which is really, really sad because that's ex- it sounds like exactly what happened. Right. So we have Claude, her dad, and Laura, her stepmother. And Laura goes, she was filthy. Yep. <laughs> she said, if things didn't her- go her way, you would pay. And boy, did we pay. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, she ha- she wrote bad checks all over Louisiana. She yep. was she committed credit card fraud. Yep. Claude says her mama was a shoplifter. She would. S- <laughs> I liked this part. They said she would steal clothes from the washateria. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta start calling it that now. Not laundromat, washateria. <laughs> God bless. That is fit. I. So when we go to Louisiana, can we have dinner with them? I hope so. <laughs> Hi, you don't know us. 
These two, and then they'll tell that story all the time. These two crazy Northern girls came down and <laughs> wanted to have dinner with us and they were paying. So we said, sure. <laughs> and oh my gosh, her stepmother said she thinks Dee Dee tried to poison her with weed killer. Yeah. And the nephew uh, says that as well. He's like, oh yeah, I think he, she put rat poison in, in Laura's food. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like no fucking wonder they all hate her. <laughs> she tried to kill her stepmother. Right. Who seems like a perfectly lovely woman. Um, right. And she thinks they think she might have tried. She might have uh, restricted. They go more into this in the uh, the TV show. Her Dee Dee's mother was played by the very talented Margot Robbie in the uh, Hulu series. And uh, they said Dee Dee, you know, withheld food from her mom. And mm-hmm. was actually her mom's caregiver and probably hastened her death. Right. Which, yeah, probably also sparked all of this, the the wanting to be a caregiver and controlling things and, and stuff like that. Correct. And when, and I guess after Dee Dee died, nobody wanted her ashes. And that is telling. No, Laura says, I thought it was one of her tricks. I didn't really think that she was dead. The nephew says, who did she piss off now? I actually thought it might be Gypsy. And Claude said, according to Gypsy, Dee Dee got what she deserved. And he, yeah. you know, the siblings and Claude were all kind of like, "Who? what do we want to do with her ashes? Do you want them? Do you want them? And he no. says, flush them. What we can learn from this is do not live your life in such a way that people want to flush your remains down the toilet. Right. Exactly. Imagine. Don't. No. I, I don't want to say that that was a bit of levity in this documentary because it was really sad and really scary what had happened but i thought they were fantastic yes i agree i I, like you said i mean i appreciate the honesty and i also appreciate that they're not feeling like beholden to um any sort of like face saving you know they don't they don't feel like they have to pretend that they liked her no and i think that that is um I think that's really important. And I think that's a really good thing to do um, from a grieving standpoint and from a coping standpoint is remembering somebody how they were. There's nothing that, well, a lot of things drive me crazy, but I don't like when people hold somebody up on a pedestal because they are dead. I don't Mm -hmm. think you're doing their memory any favors because one of the things that we have to do um, with people after they die is learn from them. Right. And learn from their mistakes and their humanness. Right, right. You know, we're all flawed and some of us are good people. Dee Dee was not a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, the best that we can do is learn from Dee Dee's mistakes. That's right. Yeah. So we're going to leave the bayou and go back to the Green County Courthouse. Okay. They are not going to seek the death penalty, which is really appropriate. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, I, uh, again, refreshing how honest they were about, you know, this is a complicated case. It's not very cut and dry. Right. And in this segment of the documentary, we're going to delve into the relationship between Gypsy and Nick. <laughs> everybody take, so, a, everybody uh, take if you, a drink. Take a shot. Mm-hmm. You're going to need it. So she meets Nick on a Christian dating site. Of course. Fruit of all. And this is, you know, this is what happens when you shelter your child for her entire life. Yeah. You know, she, because I can imagine she probably thinks, oh, Christian dating site, I'm probably going to meet someone nice with good morals, maybe. I don't know what she was thinking. Of course, she doesn't go into that. But no. 
they get into uh, BDSM. Nick introduces her to BDSM. Oh, by the way, Which, I I have to listen. I really torpedoed my search history and looked up <laughs> what it means. <laughs> Okay. So Jordan learned something from this documentary. <laughs> Bondage, discipline, domination, submission, sadism, masochism. Yes. Yes. And you know, I'm I don't take part in BDSM myself. Um, but I I feel like I've met people who do. Oh, I- uh, not I feel like I definitely have. Yeah. Um, and there's there's really nothing wrong with it so long as it's consensual yeah. and um, everybody knows beforehand what's going to happen and everyone's okay with it. And you discuss your boundaries. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a big pushback um, when the when um, Fifty Shades of Grey came out from the BDSM community because Fifty Shades of Grey does not show um, a relationship that is consensual and respectful and loving in the way that a typical relationship would be. So, I, I mean, I just wanted to clarify that as well. Like, I'm not, I don't think there's anything wrong with this inherently. No. But I, I do also think like jumping straight into it is evidence of, you know, repressed sexuality. Like, that's, that's ex- pretty extreme to go, <laughs> to right. go from like, They went from right? one extreme to the like, other. Right. Yeah. They had this very, very, very sophomoric relationship. And then they're like, hey, BDSM. Right. <laughs> exactly. I'm, what? Where do we know? Huh? I think you could probably also say a lot about what this, you know, psychologically gypsy being, um, I guess, the submissive in a relationship, a BDSM relationship, mm-hmm. um, and where it fits in in terms of her being controlled and abused by her mother for her whole life. I think that that right. could be an interesting dissection. But And Gypsy, uh, to use Gypsy's own words, like when she talked about her relationship with Nick before they got into BDSM, Gypsy said, well, then things got weird. <laughs> like Gypsy was uh, Gypsy was not, not into it. But she also didn't feel comfortable saying, I'm not down with that. And I think it's also, you know, I don't, I don't have children. I don't have a teenager, but I think that this is evidence of why we have to be open with our kids about sex and sexuality and answer their questions and support them while at the same time, keeping them as safe as we possibly can, because Gypsy didn't know. And and the reporter from Buzzfeed talks about this, you know, she, she didn't know what a relationship was supposed to look like. No, she probably didn't know what, you know, typical sexual relationship was supposed to look like did she know what consent was like you know probably not because no she probably didn't she had exposure to disney movies right (laughs) and that lies to all of us (laughs) yeah disney gave me a very 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 inaccurate depiction of what my hair would be like um exactly Mm -hmm. yep and in relationships, you know, in relationships too, it's like I said, it's very sophomoric. It was a very basic understanding. Boy meets girl. And I use that deliberately. You know, we just learn about heteronormative relationships. Boy mm-hmm. meets girl. Boy saves girl. Boy and girl lit, run off into the sunset after knowing each yeah. other for an hour. Right. And I mean, that you know, it doesn't help that they're both teenagers. Yeah. And their their hormones are on like overdrive. <laughs> Which is fine, which is fine, which is why you need to be safe. Right. Which is, but most of us play this out like in high school or the first couple of years of college or something. And most of us do this without creating a body count. Yes, exactly. Um, Also noted, Nick, uh, Nicholas is found fondling himself in a McDonald's for nine hours. Okay. 
<laughs> I would like to know if they called the Guinness Book of Records. <laughs> and like, I'm not a guy, but isn't there like a certain point where you just can't <laughs> continue? I mean, nine I- hours in a fucking McDonald's. I mean, I love Big Mac. Oh. I love Big Mac as much as the next guy. Not that much. Like, is he turned no. on by the smell of a French fry oil or something? I don't. Also, what took them so long to call the cops? Like, why? <laughs> this probably happens all the time in McDonald's. That's why. Most people don't get paid enough. That's for sure. I mean, I would be like, I don't get paid enough for this shit. Get out of here. Exactly. <laughs> I uh, like eh. anyways. Anyway, I'd like I like got that and I wrote my notes. That has to be some kind of record. Uh and I said, God bless the detective interrogating Nick. <laughs> I said this this is why we're friends, because I said the same exact thing. I'm like, can we just give it up for a minute for that woman who had to sit through the interrogation of Nick? She had to have her poker face on while he was explaining all these things. She's like, uh huh, okay. okay. She sounded like a therapist. Yep, and sure. It was, yeah. She was so good. She was like, okay, so this happened. What happened now? Like, she was so. She was like, can we get her a raise? Like, she was awesome. She was so <laughs> engaging, and she was so kind, and like, she was so compassionate. Like, she was, she was fantastic. So, mm-hmm. whoever interrogated Nick, girl, you're the real MVP. Right. Actually, I think I wrote that in my notes. <laughs> uh, she truly is. She truly is. Um, so, so a year goes by in this Christian dating relationship that includes BDSM. Oh, and also, I'm going to let you fire away on this one. Nick says he has multiple personalities that need partners. So Gypsy made herself some multiple personalities to match Nick. So they would, you know, their multiple personalities can date. Go. Do you really want me to? Um, I mean, I get so fucking frustrated at this. That is not how dissociative identity disorder works. You don't choose your personalities. You don't know when you're shifting into different personalities. Hence the dissociative piece of that. Mm -hmm. You can't just fucking decide, oh, I woke up today and decided I have five different personalities. Like we all, especially at that age, we all have different aspects of ourselves. Sure that we show to different people in different environments, et cetera, et cetera. We, especially when you're that young, you might be trying to figure out what your identity is sure. and that's normal. That's fine. Um, it, that does not mean that you have dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder, whatever you want to call it. It's not how that works. <laughs> so them having their own wardrobe and wigs and is that typical? And I'm not asking this. No. I'm going to ask. All right. No, I think it, I mean, almost think of it as like a like a partition between personalities. So like if you were to shift into, say, your five-year-old self, your you, like your, your central ego, I guess you might want to call it, wouldn't know what's happening, would have a blank space in their memory, in your memory as to when it happened. Um, and it would just be you, but mentally five years old. Okay. And it's typically you typically see it in people who have gone through some pretty profound trauma, Mm -hmm. especially like prolonged trauma, some, you know, something we might look at as complex PTSD. Mm -hmm. And it's typically to protect the central ego of you, you know, so you might shift into another personality because you're triggered by something and, and your ego doesn't 
isn't capable of handling it. So it gives it to another personality to deal with. Does that make sense? That does make So Gypsy would almost be a prime candidate for somebody that would be, you know, a prime framework for somebody to have a dissociative identity disorder. She does not, um, as far as I know, but it would be somebody with a prolonged trauma as Gypsy had experienced. Yeah, probably. I mean, I'm I'm definitely not an expert on it. And I think there's a lot of debate as to whether or not it's even a real thing, even though there's there's evidence to say that it is, Mm -hmm. um, which I think just proves that it's pretty rare. Yeah. I don't know what I was going to say about that. I I think when I think of it, I think of like prolonged, like sexual trauma, or maybe like combat, a combat veteran. So somebody who during a traumatic event would have dissociated. So a lot of victims of sexual assault or rape dissociate while the act is happening so that they don't have to be there. So I think something that all of us can relate to is when something traumatic happens to us and we go through that feeling of, I can't believe, like you wake up in the morning and go, holy shit, did that just happen? Right. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel real. So it's kind of, so what you're, so it would be sort of like that to the umpteenth degree living in that state of that didn't really happen. And we're just going to go into a whole other frame of our minds. So we don't right. have to. Right. That's what, because yeah, it's unfathomable. Dissociation is, I mean, I had a professor explain it really well. He had a, a patient who had gotten stuck in an elevator in a high-rise building during a fire and she was a kid. She was like, oh I don't gosh. I can't remember. She was maybe like 10 years old and it was pitch black. She was in this elevator by herself. Oh no. So she went into Narnia and that's yeah. how she protected herself from the the trauma of that. And the problem was that she kept going back there even after the the event happened. So that's yeah, that's dissociation is just going somewhere else out of your body, out of the environment um, to protect yourself. Which good plan. So after a year of all of this stuff, they decide they're going to meet. <laughs> and they cook up a very cock and bull plan. Uh, Dee Dee it's and Jim- very like, it reminds me of just like fucking teenagers and their poor, limited resource planning. <laughs> yeah. Gypsy and Dee Dee were going to see the live action version of Cinderella. And Nick was going to pretend to meet them at the theater and like they were meeting for the first time. Yes. It didn't go well. Of course not. And Gypsy says this herself, like, uh, you know, a young man going by himself to see a chick flick children's movie is really fucking weird. Which so I no wonder Dee Dee was like, that, that guy's creepy. <laughs> I did take a little offense to that because I did go see the live action Cinderella movie by myself when it came out in the theaters. <laughs> You're also not a young man. I feel like it's maybe That's true. not that it shouldn't be normal. It should be completely fine if a guy wants to go see a movie like that on his own, but it's not. <laughs> like let's let's be clear. It was Most a very it was a very aesthetically pleasing movie, actually. So yeah. some like an artist would probably greatly enjoy seeing that movie by themselves. But I think Nick was creepy because Nick is creepy. Well, that too. He just gives <laughs> off that vibe. Yeah. At any rate, it didn't go as planned. So they promptly decided to have sex in the bathroom. Gross. Ew. Which, ew, no. Which I mean, I guess where else were they going to have sex, really? But Listen, if you can't find a good place to have sex, you should probably not have sex. <laughs> yep. That is something else we've learned. Don't behave in such a way that people want to flush your ashes down the toilet. If you cannot find a good place to have sex, 
you probably shouldn't have sex. So since it didn't go so well and their little rendezvous in the bathroom didn't quell all their urges, they decided the only sensible way for DJ Gypsy to escape from Dee Dee would be to, you know, kill her. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, Gypsy could have stood up in public, but, you know. <laughs> yep. Somebody said, I can't even take credit for that. Somebody said that to her in like one of her 2020 jailhouse interviews, which I did watch, except the Dr. Phil one, because, you know, fuck Dr. Phil. Yeah. Um, they said, why real no, they're like, why didn't you just stand up in public? And I mean, good point. But also she was really conditioned to. Well, she was terrified of yeah, her she was mother, scared of her according mother. to her anyways, according to her. Yeah, I guess Gypsy had tried to escape one time before. She uh, met somebody at Vision Con, as it were, yeah, and um, escaped to his home. And Dee Dee had found her within a couple of hours and smashed her electronics and said if she tried to leave again, she would smash her fingers. She was also trying to drop documents, legal documents, stating that Gypsy couldn't make decisions for herself. Correct. So I can see Gypsy felt really, really, really trapped. Right. Which is also what Britney Spears' father did to her. Correct. But again, that's a, a different podcast. <laughs> that's a different podcast for a different day, but probably one we should be doing. Um, so they cook up they cook up a murder plot. Gypsy bought Nick a ticket, a bus ticket to come to their house and bought him a knife, I believe at Walmart. And there, and her plan was to let Nick in, give him the knife, and Nick was going to kill Dee Dee. Um, he said he was just going to call on one of his other personalities to do it, which we've already established is not how this whole thing works. That's not how any of this works. Correct. Um, so the night of the murder, Dee Dee and Gypsy painted each other's nails and went to bed. And Dee Dee's last words to Gypsy were, don't hurt me, because I guess they had just had a fight. And yeah, and Gypsy's telling this and she's crying some really nice alligator tears. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't, you know, I don't discount that Gypsy really was a victim in this, but she couldn't have um, lived in this environment her entire life and not have some manipulative skills. Right, exactly. And it's, I mean, I think it's plausible that she was afraid of Dee Dee, but I think she was also lying to people and she knew she was like, she knew she could walk. Right. And she didn't. She verbalized that she lied to her lawyer. Right. Which is, guys, never lie to your fucking lawyer. <laughs> no, no, they can't fix it. It's like lying to your doctor. They can't fix anything if they don't know right. what the problem is. Um, so it's it's very, very, very layered. And I really don't want to get out of this without saying I don't think Gypsy was blameless. Right. I, I don't think, and I don't think anybody was blameless. In no. This. I, and I don't think anyone really came to that conclusion no 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 nick arrived to gypsy's house gypsy let him in gave him a knife and promptly hid in the bathroom while nick stabbed Dee. Dee. and he had said to the detective afterwards oh i i thought about raping her Ew. and there's this whole thing about oh no he finds necrophilia disgusting blah 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 uh, and Gypsy said, you can rape me instead of my mom so I could protect her from that. And it's like, okay, first of all, if you ask. It's not rape. If you, yeah, if it's consensual, it's not rape. I mean, I guess you could play out a fantasy, but that's not how that works either. Second of all, that's just really disturbing. Yeah. So it's, uh, 
And Gypsy sounded like, like she almost soft treaded. Like she was like, don't like, she wanted to kill her quickly. She didn't want to torture her. She didn't want to rape her. She just wanted her dead. Right. So it shows that there was some sort of forethought and some sort of moral compass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, So I guess Nick very violently had sex with Gypsy, including biting her, which she did not like, did not consent to, asked him to stop. And he said that she liked it, which is a very common mm-hmm. narrative that we see. Um, oh, you liked it. No, I didn't like it. Um, right. But I have to tell myself that so that I don't feel like a rapist or something. Right. Oh, I thought you were really into it. No, no, no. Uh, so the murder happened and Gypsy was free-ish. Right. She says, um, I was a bluebird in an invisible cage and I was finally free. And after the murder, she and Nick took a bus back to Nick's house where they told her parents, um, no, his parents, that uh, she was a runaway. And they right, mailed... She was homeless, yeah. yeah. And they mailed the knife back to Nick's house, which utterly horrified Nick's mother. There, I, I gotta say, Nick's folks are another victim in this crime because they yeah. that's like no good deed goes unpunished they're like oh yeah you got kicked out of your house of course you can stay here they were like happy nick was getting out and making friends they were happy that he had a girlfriend they're like oh thank god <laughs> oh, <good for> you. <laughs> nope. and yeah nick's mom says to one of the detectives she says for him to ruin his life for this i'm sorry but she's a beast it's yeah yes yeah um, and she is livid that Gypsy is putting this all on her son. Right. And I don't think it belongs fully on Nick. I don't think it fully belongs on Gypsy either, but I think it's, yeah, she obviously, she's got some manipulation skills in her back pocket. Absolutely. That's kind of like, um, Charles Manson. Yeah. Like he didn't technically murder anybody, but we all know he's fucking guilty. (laughs) Sure. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, that's like that's like the cornerstone of you don't actually have to have blood on your hands to do something right. wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we get to that. We have, we we have some uh, current examples, but anyways, yes, we um, do. Um, Gypsy, like you know, was still using that little baby voice, saying she was on uh, Xanax and felt no emotion and regrets not reaching out to her dad. Like you know, she kind of like she says all the right things. Yes, she does. <laughs> I like when um, her dad says they got caught red-handed. All the evidence was there. Yeah, they were. They were so. Um, they were so immature. They like you know mm-hmm. they posted on Dee Dee's social media page. They were able to track. You know they didn't do a damn thing right. Right. They thought that they were Bonnie and Clyde, but they weren't. Right. Clearly. They were like. Which is basically how any of us would be if we committed a crime. I mean, we watch two crime shows and we're like, oh, yeah, they totally should have washed that knife off. <laughs> no, we're, we're so quick to judge, but we would be as shitty as committing crimes as they are. Mm-hmm. You know, which leads me to believe, you know, they were really, Gypsy was really trying to escape. Like, of course she was. And it was a really tough and possible situation, in which case you should have just you drag this kid into it and he was Mm -hmm. a vulnerable population. He is on the autism spectrum is diagnosed with Asperger's. He was, and he was probably on the Christian dating site looking for the same thing as her. Mm -hmm. And they both had this like perceived notion of what the world was supposed to be like. And it went 
poorly. It went terribly wrong. So how does it turn out? All right. So I'm at my last page of my notes. Uh, Gypsy pled guilty to second degree murder. She took a plea deal uh, that she would serve 10 years in prison and she would have to serve 85% or eight and a half years of that sentence. Gypsy, you know, the last, the end of the documentary showed Gypsy having a visit with Rod and Christy, um, Gypsy's dad and stepmom. She was doing well. She looked very healthy. Her hair is fantastic. Healthy damn virgin hair. That bitch. Um, (laughs) Her feeding tube is out. Her sight is healing up well. She said prison is way better than living with Dee Dee. Yikes. It seems it almost because I was reading some articles about her experience in in prison and it almost seems like it's like a lower security because she gets a lot of privileges like the inmates there get to do a lot of things. I almost I was actually having this conversation with my mom when this case first came out and my mom verbalized she goes I don't think Gypsy should have spent any time in jail and I said honestly I think if she didn't have some sort of really structured environment, she wouldn't have done well. She won't do well. So it's like, it's kind of like, this is the best, not the best thing for her, but this isn't the worst thing for her Mm -hmm. that she's getting an education. She's getting therapy. She's getting three squares, which she wasn't getting in three hots and a cot. She's getting three hots and a cot. (laughs) <laughs> she's gaining a little weight the food is better than what she was having at home like she's getting the structured environment that she desperately needs do i think that could have been done in a really intensive outpatient therapy situation sure but i also don't think that she was victimless and did need to serve some sort of um right and that's what the, the da said um you know that they had she had consequences yep. there were consequences but they were also able to account for mitigating circumstances correct correct and it actually i, I think she has a better she's going to be like even the um i don't know if it was the da he said she's going to be 32 when she gets out of jail mm-hmm. she's going to be able to live a life after this right in 2019, um, she was engaged to a man named Ken that she met through the prison pen pal program. Yeah, but they broke it off. which is for the best. Yeah. Gypsy? No. Honey, we're going to have to talk about making some better relationship choices. Yeah. It sounds like, and it does sound like that um, her dad and her stepmom are super supportive. And yeah. they said, when you're out of here, we're going to support you and love you and do all kinds of things, you know, you know, mm-hmm. ensure your success, which a lot of people that are incarcerated don't have. Right. So she's very, very lucky. I think it's really sad what happened to Nick. So at the end of this documentary, uh, Nick had not gone to trial, but he has since gone to trial and he um, got a life sentence in prison. Right. I just like, wh- where are the mitigating circumstances for him? Correct. He was also a person who was mentally ill. I'm not sure how much of his, I'm not sure how much of a, you know, how, you know, much critical thinking skills Nick truly has. And I'm also not sure of how much of a danger Nick is to society. Right. Exactly. Um, I think something that, I think something uh, like what happened to our slender man, stabbers of the previous documentary would have been a more appropriate punishment for Nick. But that really isn't the reality of 
our prison system. And I'm sure there are a lot of folks um, incarcerated right now that are very similar to Nick. Right. There are more, I would go so far as to say there are more Nicks in prison than there are Charles Mansons. Yeah, I think you're right. Especially, or what about the people who are completely innocent that are in prison? That very much. Yes. Yes. That as well. Um, but as people that, you know, did commit the crimes that they were accused of, there are more Nicks in prisons than there are Ted Bundy's or Charles Manson's or, but it's so much easier to associate people in prison with serial killers because we have nothing in common with them. So let's talk about sedition. Oh, yeah. What the fuck, right? So the part of history that we are living in right now, um, last... What the hell was it? Thursday? Wednesday? I can't even remember anymore. Um, Wednesday. So last Wednesday, a large group of pro-Trump, who is the current president, radicalists, stormed Washington, D.C. and forced their way into political capital. The Capitol, basically. Forced their way into the Capitol with great force, um, saying that The election that just happened was fraudulent and they were enacting their rights as American citizens saying this was their house and they had every right to be there and they had been indeed wronged. And there was a congressional meeting happening at the time to certify um, the results of the election, the um, Electoral College, correct? which is something that happens Every time there's a presidential election, it's, I don't know if, about you, but it's something I didn't even know happened because it's typically a very peaceful, it's simple, circumstance. Exactly. It's tradition. Yeah. That's all. Which, you know, I appreciate that, 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 that happens and that, um, that there is some sort of, you know, protocol and procedure that happens around that. Um, So there, you know, has been a lot of controversy surrounding this election, mostly because of the doubt that the current administration uh, does perpetuate and does cast, um, you know, over this election. And that is mainly because he lost. Right. Well, I don't want to speak for you, but I think the thing that stood out for me the most, and I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way that if you know, the response to this literal (laughs) storming of the United States Capitol, which hasn't happened since 1812 by a foreign nation, correct, um, was met with far less violence and resistance than a peaceful Black Lives Matter protest. Um, And I think, (sighs) correct, for me, it felt like, you know, if you don't see the problem now, you're never going to see it. That is that is very, very, very true. And it's really easy to not see an issue if it's perpetuating your your agenda and it's perpetuating your beliefs. And in fact, we've seen, you know, you and I both, many people explaining this away, even defending it. Um, lots of mental gymnastics, lots of conspiracy theories, absolutely wild. And it's like, you know, if that's what you need to do, to con- continue living in this uh, ignorance is bliss world that you're living in. <laughs> yeah. I, you're, that's what you're going to do. But, um, you know, it's very clear that you're not someone I as- want to associate with. That's very true. If you can fundamentally say that this is wrong and people are associating it with the Black Lives Matter protests, which were largely peaceful destruction of 
property did happen, which is wrong, which is fundamentally wrong, but we have to look at what caused both. This was a knee-jerk reactionary response to a man, an unarmed Black man being murdered. This storm on Washington in this terrorist attack, is a terrorist attack, I'm not calling it anything else, I refuse, um, was a calculated, malicious, well-thought-out, well-planned-out act of terrorism mm-hmm. by, police, by citizens of their own country. You know, police were brutalized by people holding Blue Lives Matter flags, which is ironic, to say the least. Well, it goes to show that it was never about... It was never right. about the police. It was it was never pro-police. It was anti-black. And a police and a member of law enforcement died in this uh it, it died in this uh in this terrorist act, and that is absolutely tragic and it should never have happened. Right. And it, you know, I think we had <laughs> another again, like it's right there in front of your freaking face. You know, we had police officers who were trying to stop this from happening. Yeah. And then we had ones who are letting people in, taking selfies with them. Mm-hmm. So there are your bad apples right there. <laughs> you know? And this isn't a profession where bad apples can be around. Right. I'm not saying they their lives need to end. They absolutely don't. But this isn't the job that they need to do. And speaking and in the same vein, members of Congress and members of the House of Representatives were forced into hiding and were forced into lockdown. Um, These were people going to work. And it became very obvious to them, I'm sure, that they didn't know if they were returning to their families. And I don't care what your political beliefs are, that's unacceptable. And it's something that's happened to way too many people in this country. Worth noting, too, that it was people from both sides of the aisle, you know, that were being terrorized. Yeah. Yeah. my and I did listen to um and I do think and I do have to give I have to give credit where credit is due. Um I give props and admiration to the members of Congress and the members of the House that went back and finished their jobs. Yes. Even though yeah. it was scary, even though it was dangerous, they still went back and did what they had to do, and that was really important. What did it, it was very sobering and it didn't make me smile. Um former presidential candidate and overall decent human being that I don't necessarily agree with all the time. Mitt Romney said, you know what? My 25, he's, uh, he's a lot of grandchildren. My 25 grandchildren were afraid I wasn't coming home tonight. That's not, that's not acceptable. No, it's not. And this is, I think I, I, you know, not to make light of the situation at all, but I think a lot of people, I saw a few people describing it as like the most boring coup that they've ever seen in their life. Like this is a, a boring revolution. Like this is not when you think of a revolution, you <laughs> this is not what you think of. No, or at least not what I ever thought of. No, revolution to me is seeking justice and seeking peace and seeking equality and seeking unity and seeking power for people that have been downtrodden and for people that have right. been silenced. This is and we have a lot white, in this white male Christians <laughs> to potentially have a revolution over, right? Like yeah. we have this huge wealth in- inequality. We have people who are dying because they can't afford health care. You know, we have people, the list goes on and on. And it's frustrating to see every day, you know, corporations are people and, you know, our the people, the billionaires who live in our country are the richest people in the world. And it, Ugh, don't get me started on my like anarchist no. views here, but like there are plenty of reasons to have a revolution. Sure. The reason that those people 
stormed a building was not a good reason. No. At all. No. At all. They were they were mad that they didn't get their way. If you want to peacefully protest because you didn't get your way, go for it. Go for it. You do not have the right to injure or endanger the lives of others. That is frankly not your right. For me personally, I I plan on holding people in my life accountable for supporting this for the last four years. Like I think I've seen a lot of like people wanting to sweep it under the rug and say, like, yeah. oh, that's awful. Let's not talk about it. Let's talk about something more lighthearted. No, we no. need to talk about this. And you need to know that you have culpability here. Yeah. You might not have intended for that to be what happened, but this is this is what happens. This is a response to, this is what this type of belief system, this type of ruler in power, this is, this is what happens. This is the resulting behavior. This is, these are the resulting events. It's a direct correlation to something you felt either complacent in happening that, you know, he wouldn't cause all the issues that he did if you thought, the good that he did would outweigh the bad. You were extremely wrong. Mm-hmm. You were mistaken. And it's okay. It's okay. We all make mistakes and we make bad judgment calls. He's a cult of personality. It's really easy to get swept up in the fear tactics that he set against. And in that case, you would be a victim. But trying to rationalize the belief system, saying that it wasn't about him. No, it was absolutely about him. And I don't say his name deliberately because I'm not giving him any more airtime than he already has. Um, Even though his Twitter is deactivated, which, you know, he can hold a press conference anytime he wants. So I don't really, Uh I don't really feel bad for him. Also, I think it's worth noting, it's not lost on me that they're only taking a stance against him now that he only has two weeks left in office. Like, yeah. You know where your friends are, you know, like everybody, we can see you Twitter, like we can see that you could have stopped this a long time ago and you chose not to. You had the power. It's not that you could have stopped it. You had the power to stop it. Right. And Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Zuck, we see you. Yeah, we see you. Or even the people in Washington, you patted him on the back and, Mm -hmm. you know, treated him like the infantile, um, overgrown toddler that he is and placated him and didn't speak out against him. And you let him, you let him grow into this and you gave him a platform and for that you are responsible. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that. It feels good to say. It does. It does. It does. Yeah. And even though it's, it's something I've been saying back and forth with many people. Correct. Yeah. It's something that Yeah, that we verbalize time and time and time and time and time again. And it's something that we need to continue to talk about. Actually, one of our friends uh, from long ago and one of our loyal listeners actually posted, I'm not going to shut out the people that don't condone racism and white supremacy. I want to know absolutely everything about you. Yes, I saw that. Give me your, I want to know where you work. I want want to know who your friends are, who your family is. And that's what we need to do. It's not a matter of, you know, I don't want to pretend you don't exist. No, you exist and you vote and you talk and you have influence over at least one person in this world. And you need, you need to be known. You need to be, you don't get to, you don't get to hide. 
if you're going to have those beliefs, you better have them. Yeah. And if it, what is the song? If you're a Nazi and you know it, no. What is it? How, okay, hold on. I'll look it up. I didn't know there was a song. I just remember the the end of Inglorious Bastards, where uh, the SS got a swastika ingrained on his forehead, which was appropriate for what he did. Oh, it's if you're a Nazi and you're fired, it's your fault. <laughs> if you're yep. a Nazi and you're fired, it's your fault. Yep. <laughs> One thousand Nazi scalps, Jordan. 1,000. <laughs> uh, so in this crazy time, take care of yourself. Don't be afraid to call out bullshit. Yeah, we're done. Like get in, loser. We're holding people accountable. Yeah. <laughs> hold And also hold yourself accountable for your actions. And it's okay mm-hmm. to say that you made a mistake and that you've changed your mind. Mm-hmm. About anything, not just about this. It's okay to say... I've learned something from this and I've evolved and I've grown. That's the act. That's the art of being human. It doesn't mean that you're solely to blame for an event. It means that you're not perfect and you're trying to be better. And that's what we're all trying to do. So hold yourself accountable and it is fine to hold other people accountable. It is okay to still love people that you don't agree with, but an act of loving people is saying what you were believing in the hate that you are spewing is hurting other people. And that is also really important to say, because you might think sharing things on social media is innocuous, but you don't know what somebody's struggle has been when they stumble upon that post and how it can really affect them. And none of us know what other people's story has been up until this point. So try to step outside of yourself, try to have some empathy, try to have some compassion, just try a little bit harder and take care of yourself and take care of yourself and take care of the people that you love because I guarantee they're having a hard time too. Right. So that's our show. Um, Where can the people find us? Oh, the people can find us on Instagram. They can find us on Facebook. They can find us on Apple Podcasts, they can find us on Spotify, they can, wherever injustice is happening, we'll be there. <laughs> with, on, with on, on Instagram and Twitter, on Instagram and Twitter, you can find us at BioPsychPod and on Facebook at BioPsychosocial, a podcast. Um, if you're listening, I don't know how the other platforms work, but if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, um, please leave us a five-star review and... Um, five stars and a review is what I meant to say. If you want, you don't have to. You don't have to, but we um, appreciate but it, does, yeah, it helps us to be a little bit more visible. Yeah. And we, we appreciate your support either way. Yes. Thanks for, it's been a, it's, I don't, I can't even say it's been a great year, but it's been a great year doing this podcast with you, Bob. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. Let's do another. It's been great. Let's do it again. Do it again. Well, I'm still, I'm still looking for someone for my horror movie podcast. Hello. Yeah, we're we're taking applications because I don't make me watch horror movies, please. Someone do a horror movie podcast with Kayla. Uh yes, I've really been thinking about a few that I want to rewatch and I would love to talk to someone about it. But anyways, take care of yourselves. Be good to each other, be excellent to each, each other. other. Bye. Bye. Bye.